came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Senator Joe Manchin rumors that he's going to run for president. Dr. Peter Mihalos, how do we live longer? Victoria Coates, an update on security and the Chinese leaders. Gordon Chang, update on what's going on with China. And we have a special guest today, the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to give us his vision of where our country is going. The new Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson. And um, we uh, have a few questions for him. And Mr. Speaker, welcome. Well, thank you. It's my great honor. Uh, Let's start sort of with your vision. And also, we saw so much division that was happening, of course, before all of this, before you became the speaker. Um, I think everybody in the country was relieved uh, when you got voted in very quickly. What kind of relationship uh, do you have with the Democrats, too, with Hakeem Jeffries? Where are things going with that? Well, I tell you what, it's a, it's been a tumultuous time in Congress. I think everybody can see that. And we walked through a dark valley together as the House Republican Conference. But when you walk through a valley, you always emerge on the other side. And we are very optimistic right now about where we're headed. We, we've come out of that. I put it this way, and I've said this to some of our close friends who have watched and observed up, up close. The, the, the desolation that was wrought through that period was so complete that it broke everyone down to kind of their own individual core. And, and the opportunity that presents is that Everybody's emerged kind of with this new spirit that we understand we really have to work together. And, and I think that gives us a real opportunity. We were stuck together, you guys, for 10 straight weeks. And former Speaker John Boehner always had a rule. You don't keep Congress together for more than three weeks at a time because they'll, they'll start to uh, get frustrated and wring each other's necks. And we saw that. Everybody's broken up now. We've gone home for Thanksgiving. They'll get a reprieve. We'll come back and regroup and we'll run this agenda. And I am very, very bullish on the days ahead and the, and the future for the country. What are some of the priorities for you, uh, Mr. Speaker? Because, of course, I know you've just taken over. By the way, you wasted no time. I love the fact that right after uh, you were selected, you were voted in, you came right out and said, listen, there's no time for a swearing-in ceremony. we got to get to work. And you did a resolution on Israel within hours. It was amazing. We did. We had to get right back to work. The house was effectively closed for business for about three straight weeks, and we, there's no luxury of complacency here. The hours late, the crisis is great on so many fronts, and we had to address it. So we came out immediately with Israel. We came out right after that and passed, by the way, a bipartisan Israel support package that was the amount requested by Prime Minister Netanyahu, my friend, and and we added a pay for, and that was kind of a seismic shift in Washington. Uh, normally, we do supplemental spending without any pay fors, but we recognize right now one of our primary objectives has got to be handling our nation's debt. So we can take care of our obligations, but we do it in a fiscally responsible manner. We have a $33.6 trillion debt, and so when you talk about our priorities and principles. The House Republicans are absolutely united on the fact that we've got to drive that down. We, the Treasury Department just announced about two and a half weeks ago that we're going to have to borrow $1.5 trillion over the next two quarters just to keep the government in operation. This is not sustainable, so we have to fix it. While we're doing that, we're going to fight for more American-made energy so we can get back to energy independence and dominance that we had several years ago. 
secure our southern border. That's a big thing for the people and, and change the way Washington works, because ultimately we have to do that to fix this problem and restore trust in the institution that we all serve in and love. Uh, we've been yelling uh, loudly. I, I have especially in, on uh, Fox uh, Business, Fox News and, and WABC here uh, that Chairman Powell keeps raising the interest rates and he's hurting the country instead of increasing our output on oil and bringing inflation down that way. Well, that's exactly right. And if you saw the beginning of this Congress, the first bill that we passed as a as a House Republican majority was H.R. 1. And there's a reason it was our first priority, first bill. It was on energy security, because we understand if you unleash American energy production and exploration again, then that that ties directly to our national security. And, and a strong America is good for not only us, but for the entire world, for stability around the world. So you cannot overstate the importance of that. I, I have some real disagreements with how the Fed has handled interest rates and all of this, uh, the spending policies and all the rest. And I think now even people who just a few months ago, certainly the last couple of years, were espousing this crazy modern monetary theory idea, this unicorn economics, the facts are, 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 are being collected now. The data is collected. They can't refute it. That is madness. We have to have fiscal restraint. And it begins with being good stewards of the taxpayers' resources. And that's what you're going to see from our team from this point forward. Mr. Speaker, do you have a good working relationship with Hakeem Jeffries? Because I, I don't think the American people want extremism on either the, life, you know, the left or the right to affect the way America goes. No, it's a great point. Hakeem has become a very good friend of mine, and I, I trust him. I think he's a good man. He and I see things from de- very different policy perspectives, of course. Uh, our, our core principles may be a little different, but I, I know in his heart at the end of the day, he wants what's best for the country, and I do too. And so you saw that in, in before I took the oath of office when I gave the speech from the from the House floor, from the Speaker's rostrum there. I said that right at the outset, that, that I, I look forward to working with Hakeem. And over the last few weeks, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, you guys, since I took the gavel 24 days ago, I think it was. No rest for the weary. But, but along that path, many times along the path, Hakeem and I have had one-on-one meetings and frank discussions. And I, I, to your point, I think that's really important for our institution, for Congress to work. We're never going to agree on some of these policy positions, but we have to do it in an agreeable manner, even when we disagree. And I think that's important to keep the, the, the ball moving forward for the American people. Hakeem and I can get along. I'm a happy warrior. I believe in the old Reagan, Tip O'Neill model where you don't hate each other at the end of the day. But, boy, you know they would fight like the devil on policy, and that's what we're doing. And uh, we are going to retain those uh, those seats from those incredible members of Congress that the Republican Party sent to us from New York. That was one of the reasons we all know that we won the majority. Those are our majority makers, those members. And I'm coming up there as early as uh, next week uh, to, to do events in those districts and help them uh, retain those seats and then grow our majority. So we've got to defeat these guys in the ballot. Don't don't mistake me for uh the way we fight, we're, we're, we're going to win it. And we have By the to, way, you have to come join us in studio. If you come here next week, you got to come join well, us. That'd be awesome. I, I don't know what my schedule looks like. They fill it up moment by moment, but that would be a great joy for me. Well, we're looking forward to having you here in New York. And thank you very much for coming here and working with our members of Congress. Okay. Uh, uh, Governor David Patterson, any comments? Uh, I would just say that both parties have, uh, at different times in this state's history, made a mockery out of the reapportionment system. But this time it was the Democrats, Governor. So let's be clear about that. And I'm the House Democrat, and I'm saying that. It's a Democratic Party that subverted the state constitution. They were set aside and are trying to do it again. And the only way you can have checks and balances in our government is if you have the House representatives in the Senate 
in Republican hands for the protection of this great country. Yeah, Mr. Speaker, go ahead. Well, that, I would agree with that sentiment. Uh, look, I, I think that we have to adhere to the to the rule of law, ultimately, at the end of the day. We adhere to the Constitution, and we respect those principles. And we're fighting for that in states all around the country. Uh, they're into reapportionment and the redistricting. You, you've got to you got to follow the law, not not have gerrymandering, not have political games, but do it in a right and fair way. And I, I think some of these things will be resolved in the courts uh, in, in the, the months ahead, and that's going to be very important because it will help determine who holds that House majority. And I believe our principles are the ones that will will provide more opportunity and liberty and security for more Americans. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about taking that message on the road. Now, Mr. Speaker, uh, Ed Cox, you, you passed a continuing resolution that uh, the debt ceiling comes up again in February in the middle of the primaries. Uh, what is your strategy with that? Well, the, the strategy is to get the job done before all of that, of course. You know, we what we had to do with that continuing resolution, you all know because you observe this, it, it took decades to get into the budget mess that we're in. The, the lack of adherence to the law, the Budget Control Act of 1974 has very specific provisions on timing and how this process is supposed to work with regard to appropriations and government spending. And it just simply hasn't been followed for many, many years. And so what we wind up at the end of every year is some massive omnibus spending bill right before Christmas where Congress spends, you know, $1.7 or $1.8 trillion with 3,000 pages of legislation no one's read. We broke that fever for the first time in memory. We were able to get beyond the Christmas holiday, push the deadline into mid-January and then early February to allow more time for the appropriations process to complete. I think that's going to be a good thing for stewardship, and it's going to ultimately allow us to control spending. But here's the big news. We are going to change the way this is done going forward. I, I have vowed to my colleagues we're not going to be in this situation ever again, which means early in February. We're going to begin on the next fiscal year, and uh, you'll see the process work much different. One of the big problems that we have is our borders. Has there been any discussion with you and Hakeem Jeffries? There has, actually, about um, some provisions that, that need to be agreed upon. Listen, even the White House recognizes we've got to have policy change at the border. In my view, they opened it up. I mean, I think that's what the evidence shows. I served on the House Judiciary Committee uh, before I became uh, speaker, and, and we had many hearings with Mayorkas and, and Merrick Garland and everyone in charge of this, and it's very clear that policies are what have created the catastrophe there. So we have to change it. So we're going to use every leverage point that we have going forward in these negotiations on supplemental federal spending and all these other provisions to ensure that we can get real substantive change at the border, because I believe that is a root cause of so many of the problems that we're facing in this country. And I think most of the people agree with us. So the polling's on our side, the resolve is on our side, and I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to be able to affect real change there in the coming weeks and months. Mr. Speaker, uh, the most important meeting that's happened in the last week or so is the meeting in San Francisco uh, between China and uh, President Biden. And uh, it seems like they put out two different press releases one for China, one for President Biden. Uh, did you have a representative at the meeting, or or have you been briefed on it, uh, uh, getting the truth? Well, they didn't invite uh, the legislative branch. We we were all just deep in the weeds in the trenches trying to uh, prevent the government from shutting down, trying to get the spending, <laughs> the continued resolution negotiated. So we watched it from afar, and to be to be honest, I was so deep in the weeds on all that as Speaker that I, I, I wasn't able to follow every detail of it. What I did see was the highlights, which are very disappointing. In general, I will say that it is a true statement, and anyone who looks at this objectively has to agree, that President Biden is projecting weakness on the world stage. And I'm, I'm from the Reagan school. He always said we maintain peace through strength, and he was exactly right. 
because if you project weakness, you invite aggression. And it's a dangerous time right now to be inviting aggression upon our country. And that's why you see China, Iran, Russia, all of our adversaries around the world uh, just doing what they're doing, being very provocative. I, I thought it was shameful that we gave standing ovations out there by these CEOs and tech companies to a communist leader of a nation that persecutes its own people and is causing havoc around the world and is trying to be a peer-to-peer adversary with the United States. This is not a game, and we have to take it very seriously. Mr. Speaker, to that point, I'm also thinking about Iran, uh, because here we have, you know, President Biden has not been enforcing the sanctions on Iran on oil. Of course, the oil we know is helping to fund the war machine, Hamas, Hezbollah, all these others. Also, we saw this week uh, that he looks like he's continuing this waiver uh, where they might get access to another $10 billion. Is there anything that Congress can do uh, vis-a-vis Iran and what's happening over there? We are certainly trying. I, I just believe that is absolute madness, what, what the White House is doing. How in the world would you risk further empowering Iran, which is the largest state sanction of terror on the planet? It, obviously, as to your point, Hamas and Hezbollah are proxies of Iran. They are the ones that are effectively funding and fueling the atrocities against Israel and unsettling the entire world order because of it. So we have to take a strong stand. I mean, this this is, again, not a game. The, the, the way that we handle these foreign policy matters, these sensitive issues, is critical to the stability of the globe. It, that's not an exaggeration. So what we're trying to do in, in the legislative branch in Congress is, is force the hand of the White House. The problem is those of us who believe so adamantly about this um, are only the small majority in one chamber, one one house. And we have to get Senator Schumer and the Democrats who run the Senate to agree with us to affect that change. But we're, we're trying to uh, apply every point of pressure that we can to the White House and, and pleading with them to change course because we've got to have a strong stance here. Yeah, absolutely. What about cracking down also on colleges, too? Um, you know, some of these things, yeah. some of the protests we have seen and social media, it's been really frightening, Mr. Speaker. Well, it, it has. And you're going to see as we continue to haggle over finalizing that supplemental aid package to Israel, which is about $14.5 billion, um, you may you will see some some policy initiatives, I think, attached to that in the next stage. We, we want to crack down on some of that. Sadly, look, we, we believe in free speech. We believe in the free marketplace of ideas as conservatives. That's a critical principle to us. But at the same time, you cannot have universities and radical radicalized college presidents indoctrinating students and, and having them go out and engage in this activity that is turning violent on some of these campuses. I'd like to I'd be curious, for example, to know these these universities and, and, and these schools that are uh, collecting federal funding. I'd like to know about uh, their contribution records. Are they receiving money from Iran backed proxies or some of these other organizations that would be of interest to members of Congress who are sending them funding. Uh, we, we've got to we've got to look at this very carefully and we've got to affect change in every way that we can. Mr. Speaker, I understand a lot of foreign governments are giving a lot of money to uh, some of these universities that are indoctrinating our kids. They are. I think that that's beyond dispute. Um, we don't know the details or probably enough of the details of that at some of these universities. But I, I can tell you that there is a increasing amount of interest on the, on the part of many members of Congress about those details. It, it matters. And, and I'll tell you what, moms and dads who are out there across this country who are sacrificing to send their kids to these colleges and universities, they think they're getting educated. They're, they're finding out now it's more indoctrination than education. And that is a great frustration of the people of this country. And, and we really need to look at what we can do to to change those policies and change that trajectory. It is not healthy for our republic. And everybody, we're talking to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Judge Weinberg, you have a question. Mr. Speaker, I'm very concerned because you raised the issue of indoctrination. 
I'm very concerned about TikTok, which is controlled by the Chinese communists, and what they've been doing to our our young people, who seem to get all their views and all their news from TikTok, and it's all about shaping a narrative, and it's an anti-American narrative. What say you? Yeah, I agree with you, Judge. I don't think there's any dispute about that. And, you know, they have very powerful lobbyists on Capitol Hill, and they're trying to protect their, their market share and their interests. But they, in my view, they have a, a, a very... Uh, a very negative influence upon our culture, our society, particularly our young people. Uh, it, it's a dangerous thing. And if you look at the disparity with how they use that that tool in China and how they how they use it and exploit it in America, you can see very clearly what it's about. In in China, the, the the young people are limited to I think it's like an hour a day, and all they get is positive reinforcement propaganda stuff about hard work and how great China is and how evil everyone else is. And over here, it's complete trash, most all of it, right, that our kids are exposed to. So it's something that parents have to be very wary of. They need to monitor their kids' intake. And in the meantime, I think lawmakers need to look very carefully about what we're going to allow on these platforms because it, it is, a again, one of these root causes to so many societal ills. Mr. Speaker, last question. One of our biggest concerns that we've talked to you about is Washington is for sale. And it's so much money rolling into Washington. What can we do about legalizing the money that's coming into Washington? Well, that, that's a that's a big, important question, and there's lots of details. And it, it, we could spend a half hour drilling down into some of the subparts of that. But I'll just tell you as a general notion, I think the members of Congress have to commit on both sides of the aisle to restoring truth and transparency and and trust in this institution. You know, we're in a constitutional republic. We're only 247 years into this grand experiment in self-governance. And the founders, when they set it up, they didn't know how long it would last. But they did know that one of the important ingredients of maintaining a constitutional republic would be the people's faith and trust in the institutions that govern them. Right now, we're at record low levels of trust. And that's a serious, probably an existential threat to the continuance of our country. So I'm I'm focused on that. Many of my colleagues are. We'll be looking for ways to to increase transparency and trust. And I I think that's got to be a common theme going forward. And it's uh, checks and balances, too, on uh, what's going on in Washington. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to thank you for coming on today. And thank you. God bless you all. Thank Thank you you so much. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Senator Joe Manchin. During this week, he announced that he may think of running for president. Well, Senator, I mean, uh, Joe, have you made John, up your mind? Here's what I made up my mind so you'll know where I'm at today, okay? I made, a, I made a decision not to run for re-election as far as United States Senate. And people would ask, why'd you do that, Joe? And I said, you know what? I've been involved 40, over 40 years representing the most beautiful state of West Virginia. And the people that I have been born with, raised with, lived with, and known some of the best people in the world, they're hardworking. They give their all for their family and their state and their country. They do the heavy lifting and mine the coal made to steel and 
the Guns and Ships defends the country. I've done everything I possibly can. We've been very successful bringing some opportunities to West Virginia. And I finally come to the decision, John, with the country as divided as we are, and the politics in Washington is dividing us even further. It's making you and I and everybody in between almost sick and tired. Enough is enough. They want you to pick a side. And they're saying, well, that side's worse than I am. So if you're a D or an R, you're the villain on the other side. I was never raised, John, looking at anybody on another side as being my enemy. They might have been my competitor, but we can always work together and find you know, ways to, to live together. And today it's not that way. So Washington is divided. And Washington wants you and I to be divided and the rest of America to be divided because it's a better business model for them. So I came to the conclusion, I can't change it. I've been here 13 years. I'm not going to change it from within. And I've decided to go around and see if I can mobilize the radical middle, John. Is that something? The radical, moderate, sensible, reasonable, middle, modern part of this country. Because I, I think, think there's more. I do think that the middle is ready to revolutionize and make a comeback because the extreme left and the extreme right is no place to be. John, you don't run you and I. You don't run your life that way from that from the extremes. You don't run your family from that from the extremes. If you're going to be successful and have a, a, a good family and and have things balanced, you're going to run it from the center left, center right. It's going to be the moderate middle. And I can tell you, there's an awful lot of good moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans that are just fed up, but they're just keeping quiet because there's so much noise coming from the far left and far right. And I just said, enough's enough. So I'm going to see and go around and talk to them. I don't know what that'll lead to. And people ask, what are you going to do? And I said, listen, I'm an American first. I'm a West Virginian second. And I'm the most independent, independent, centrist, moderate Democrat you've ever seen. And guess what? A lot of my friends, some of my best friends, are the most centrist, moderate, independent Republicans you've ever seen. And we just said enough. We're going to say if we can see something, make something happen, work together. Put the country first. Forget about the parties. But boy, it's a big business up here, John. They just uh, the business, the Democrat business and the Republican business has been quite profitable and doing quite well. Absolutely right. And uh, some of the problems I have with Washington, it seems like Washington is for sale sometimes. And everybody has to remember being an American and worry about America is more important than dollars or foreign dollars or whatever is coming in. Let me just give you a little bit of an idea of how much money's involved and how fast it's grown. And because Citizens United and all the all the different money's coming at different ways, the money in politics in 2008, Obama's first election, which was a very very, it was the largest election we've ever seen. Money and everything that was being spent, that was six billion dollars, 2008. Fast forward to 2020. 2020, there was 16 billion dollars, John. 16 billion dollars, and it keeps growing exponentially every year. And tell us about the $16 billion. How much Spent of it is presidential election, coming in on the, president, on the presidential election between presidential tax, election, et cetera, et cetera? Presidential election, money coming in, pouring in from all different segments and, and unbelievable amounts, and that's including the PACs and everything else involved. That's all documented. That's all reported. It's all transparent. But what you don't know is from the dark money and everybody's The 501c4s, John, you never know. And if you don't have a 501c4, you're not going to be able to compete because everybody else is. So unless there's a transformation or a change, you're not going to get money out of the politics. So you better put transparency to it. And that means will the middle, the moderate, neither side can win, John, without the moderate middle. 
I'm going to call them the radical middle. And people say, why would you say radical middle? The radical modern centrist middle. Because I can tell you, you're either going far left and far right. There's not that many of us left. There's not that many that you can identify with. So maybe we're radical to think that that we should be a centrist, moderate, common sense type of a person that would be in public service because we're not getting that anymore. Unbelievable. It's just... uh... Yeah. It's just it's challenging, John. Hey, let me very, ask you very this. Challenging. Your listeners, you have a tremendous loyal listening audience. They're got to be they got to be scared about the whole border situation. And I tell Democrats, you have got to secure the border. I tell Republicans, we've got people here that if they had a visa, a worker visa permit and let them work and pay for their own keeping and basically pay taxes, it would be a benefit while we're waiting to adjudicate them. But right now, I know in New York what's happening, you're all paying millions and millions of dollars trying to house and keep people off the streets and this and that. And it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And we've got Democrats and Republicans fighting over the minutiae. Oh, it's inhumane to secure the border. Well, my goodness, you can't have a superpower of the world unless you secure the borders. And the people that come here Everybody says, well, the Republicans, throw them all out. Well, you, you're not going to be able to round all those people up, but at least you can make them sign up to work. And then if they're not working, then you can go after the people that came for the wrong reason. But we're going to have to look at some common sense solutions. And then, John, the crime. And even in West Virginia, we have where people are afraid in their communities anymore. And we've never had that. So crime is rampant everywhere. And then we've got and two it's wars. it's the open borders, uh, Senator. I mean, uh, people are coming oh. through those borders, and we don't even know who's coming. John, I, I'm so hard on that. I said we, and this whole negotiation we're doing here right now for the next round of uh, how we fund this government. And I can tell you, if we're going to, and I do, I support the United States supporting Ukraine. I support Israel, and I'll do everything I can to help support them to make sure they are able to uh, succeed and be victorious. And with that being said, I support securing our borders just as strongly as those two. And that's all going to be a package that we have to come to grips with that's important for us. But tough world we live in, John. We're trying to keep from getting pulled into any war, a major war. We don't want that. But if we don't support Ukraine, I'll assure you the money that we're investing is the most inexpensive money that we would ever invest to have the reward that we're having showing the vulnerabilities of Russia. If Russia wins... And Putin wins, and he moves in to our NATO allies, into the Baltics and over into Poland and all that. I can assure you, this is a pittance of what it would cost us. And then we'd have our own United States men and women in harm's way and their blood being shed. We don't want that to happen. Absolutely. And what's happened in Israel, John, that was just so barbaric, that attack from Hamas. If I can say one thing so I can try to put it in perspective, the laws of war, if two countries, two civil countries have disagreements, they go to war. There's certain laws you abide by. You know, you don't attack any of your – you do everything you can to protect your citizens, to protect your health care workers, to protect your aid workers, all of that. Those are off limits. But they get caught in collateral damages in, in a war zone. But the main thing is civil countries, they go to war. They use their war machine to protect their people. Terrorists such as Hamas uses their people to protect their war machines. That's what we're dealing with, John. You're and people with... have to understand that. Yes, correct. Senator, I hope you keep us informed of what's going on. We'd love to. Uh, I love your common sense, and, and your common sense has to be heard by everybody. Well, this country is the most important thing right now. Is how do we save our country? I've never, John. I've got to say this: I'm scared to death of where we are today, and what we see—the climate, the political climate we have, 
John, they're normalizing this this visceral hatred. Donald Trump has taken it to a level that he's normalized this this visceral hatred. He wants to be elected again to use the office and weaponize it to be for revenge. And I said, you know, he believes that basically the only fair election is the one he won. And he believes that basically the rule of law is just for you and me and not him. That's not who we are as a country. And Joe Biden has been pulled so far to the left, the extreme left, as far as liberal, makes no sense at all. It's not the person we thought was going to bring the country together. So we're we're in a heck of a mess here. And we've got to we've got to bring people together and they've got to demand more, more responsibility for uniting our country. We're the United States, not the divided. Hey, John, I'll leave you with one thing that I've been looking at in, in history. I love history. So 1796, President George Washington, in his farewell address, he says he warned everyone that the political parties would take away the power of the people because the power of the politics and the political parties would usurp that. He warned them in his farewell address in 1796, and he also warned them to avoid the accumulation of debt. As I speak to you today, John, we have a debt of $33,720,000,000,000. It's unsustainable, and it's growing rapidly. It's awful. And I'll and give now, you quickly before the end, end of the show, because we're, we're down to the last 30 okay. seconds, and is uh, beware of the uh, – what, what was Eisenhower's statement? Beware Indu- of uh, the, the industrial complex. Industrial, the industrial military complex. Complex, because, that's uh, exactly – and he was so right. He was so, so right. So these are things that are coming – you know, 224 years ago, George Washington said that, and everybody said there's it's true today. It's the power of the parties. The system is not – it's not basically – we the people anymore it's we the party what party do you belong to don't ever forget john it's about the people we own this country we are a republic with a representative form of democracy we own it thank you so much stand up and say we're going to radicalize we're we're going to find that middle john and let's go santa joe mansion god bless you and god bless america thank you so much for coming on uh today and uh, we'll catch up again real soon thank you john let's keep in touch buddy i appreciate it this is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, and uh, he's our good friend. Uh, he's our in-house genius. He, he's a historian. He's a, a medical expert. And uh, Dr. Mihalos, uh, give us an update. What good things are happening in medicine uh, this week? Well, some amazing things are actually happening in medicine. And there's a uh, genetic treatment uh, that's using a new technology called CRISPR, which can edit your genes. Our genotype is our DNA. And imagine if our DNA has a defect in it. And imagine if we can go in and repair that defect, like a broken screw or a broken fan belt in a car, and you can fix it. And the first authorization in the world to fix a disease, which is sickle cell anemia, which affects one in 365 um, black people in the United States, is now a reality, and it's happened in England, and the companies Vertex and CRISPR got together. So we have the first gene editing therapy. In addition, it'll be used for beta thalassemia, which is a disease that affects many people from the Mediterranean, including in Italy and Greece, and uh, it causes a devastating anemia. 
sickle cell anemia affects over 100,000 people actively in the United States, and it's extremely painful because imagine your red blood cell, instead of being round, it looks like a little sickle, like a little quarter of a moon, and it can't travel through the small, tiny blood vessels in the body, and you get like mini strokes everywhere, and these people's mean age is only, they only live to be 40, which is a big deal. And uh, the only treatment available right now is stem cell infusions and uh, with blood transfusions to keep these people uh, going with uh, both diseases. And now we can actually uh, treat them. The medicine is going to be called Casgenvi, and uh, it will be available in England and hopefully here in the United States. It will be available for people age 12 and up. So it's a very, very exciting time uh, to be alive, that you can make precise, direct changes to your DNA, which is your blueprint of our body. And as we've talked about before in the Cats Roundtable, 20% of our destiny is our genes. It's like our new car. But imagine being born with a new car that has a, a defect or a missing piece and being able to now, with these medicines, go in. I remember those cars. It was called an Etzel. Yeah, but it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing that uh, people will be able to go in for these uh, treatments, and I hope they'll be readily available for people not only in the United States, but as time passes, costs go down, and it'll be available for people around the world, and many philanthropic organizations hopefully will make it available to people who can't afford it. And uh, it's amazing that these people will be able to have a more normal lifespan. The fascinating thing is once you make that gene correction, it's not something you have to take over and over again. Once you fix the gene, guess what? It's fixed for the rest of your life. So I'm excited for things in the future like, you know, diseases of the eye, like retinitis pigmentosa and other genetic diseases where they'll be able to go in and splice the broken defective gene and and put the correct one in and make people better. So this is just something uh, newsworthy, and uh, there should be uh, happy bells around the world for something like this. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we, we celebrate other things that uh, aren't as important. But in the end, the most important thing is our health, our mental and physical health. And uh, we want people to keep listening to hear about more exciting news in medicine and these uh, treatments will also in the future probably be able to help us to live longer because any of our genetic diseases will hopefully be able to get repaired through these targeted therapies. Now uh, lately uh, I just saw a report that uh, uh, life uh, expectancy of uh, United States males were down six years uh, uh, in the last uh, two years I guess. Um, is that because of COVID and uh, things like that? Yeah, there seems to be, uh, you know, a lot of COVID, a lot of uh, viral-related deaths, and also there have been, you know, quite a number of suicides. Human beings, are we need to uh, interact with other human beings. People being in isolation, they also didn't get a lot of their basic testing, so people weren't getting their routine colonoscopies, their mammograms, and other uh, blood work to find out if they had basic diseases like diabetes or out-of-control cholesterol. So what happens when people don't go to the doctors and don't get medical care and we've been in all these lockdowns is you ended up with many, many uh, people dying from uh, not getting the proper treatment. And I, I know of at least two who didn't get colonoscopies during COVID and now they, you know, they're dealing with colon cancer that may have 
been gotten earlier and resected. So all those factors, and of course, the drugs and the fentanyl coming in through our borders. Uh, and uh, the problem is these drugs don't have how many milligrams it is. They're made in somebody's basement garage or in these uh, underground labs, and people take them, and they don't realize how powerful fentanyl is, just like that poor child who just touched a little bit of the powder in a uh, daycare center and stopped breathing. And uh, that's also affected our longevity, but uh, we need to help uh, improve that because it's kind of sad that we have longevity now in men worse than some of the third world countries. Understood. Uh, How many people do you think are affected in the United States on on this uh, sickle cell? 100,000 Americans are, and uh, worldwide, it's a, a lot more. It's almost a million people. But it's extremely painful. It's like someone taking a blowtorch to your fingers, to your limbs. And also those microclots make many people blind because the tiny vessels inside the eye get plugged up. So imagine uh, you you have these little irregularly shaped, sharp-edged, little sickle-shaped red blood cells instead of the normal round blood cells that squeeze through and travel through our tiny little uh, blood vessels in our body. But that's... uh, Okay, we got a minute left. Anybody, any other updates? Yeah, the other update is the amazing uh, approval of the uh, by the FDA for the uh, diabetes drug now uh, being used for um, for weight loss, and uh, that's going to be exciting news that uh, people will be able to have help getting uh, weight loss, and for and that's going to decrease mortality, death rate, and heart problems and other and other problems uh, in the United States because when people lose weight, they get less strokes, less heart attacks, less cancer, less Alzheimer's. So that's going to be a, a big, big bonus for uh, the health care, and hopefully that will help bump up the age of men instead of being 73.2. Hopefully we'll get up to a place like, you know, Portugal, which has a 82, where men live to be 82 to 84, or in Greece where they live to be 81. Or the island of, or the island of Ithaca, where they live to be a hundred. Korea is one of the blue zones where they follow the Mediterranean diet strictly, and they have good family friends. They go to church together, they pray together, and all that socialization also helps. Thank you, Doctor Mihalos, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day, and thanks for getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Victoria Coates, and she was the Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump. Uh, She's also now at the uh, Heritage Foundation. Well, Victoria, tell us what keeps you up at night. Well, unfortunately... Right now, there there are many things. Uh, the the global situation is really deteriorating, John, uh, and it's it's happening in Europe, it's happening in the Middle East, and it's happening in Asia. But maybe most painfully of all, it's happening here in our our hemisphere on our, our southern border. And we had the spectacle this week of President Biden going off to San Francisco, once one of our great cities, to have uh, the APEC summit, bringing together a number of different. Pacific powers, including, of course, the People's Republic of China. And so when Chairman Xi arrived, we also had the spectacle of the streets of San Francisco lined with communist Chinese flags. It was as if he was back in Beijing. 
And I guess the only good news is that, that Governor Newsom demonstrated he could clean up the city, just at least to impress a foreign dictator. But what was really kind of shocking about the meeting between Xi and Biden is Biden asked for Chinese help on two issues that he should be handling himself. First and foremost, as I mentioned, the border. He asked Xi to stop allowing the export of the materials that come together to make fentanyl, which kills some 70,000 Americans a year. When China has promised to do this before, they've never made good on those promises. I don't know if they can't do it or they won't do it, but for whatever reason, they're not doing it. And Americans continue to die because Biden won't take the one obvious step, which is he should he as the president of the United States should shut that border himself and prevent this poisonous material from coming into our country. So that was kind of horrible thing. Number one, horrible thing. Number two is that Biden asked for help with Iran, which, of course, has been financing, training, equipping and ultimately directing the terrorist attacks, both the horrific Israel attack on the October 7th, but then also the 50-some attacks on U.S. troops and installations that have taken place since then. And of course, again, Biden could do this himself. If he enforced the sanctions that exist on Iranian oil exports, the Chinese imports of that oil would drop dramatically, as would uh, Iran's income. And that would cut off this material the way it did in the Trump administration. So I think another failure this week for the Biden administration, and most dangerously, it's a failure with China. Well, my God. I mean, uh, do you think we've made any progress uh, with that San Francisco trip? I really, I think we went backwards. I think Xi will interpret this as a sign of weakness. The administration is so desperate to get a climate deal with China that they will pretty much put up with anything. And so the idea that China is suddenly going to become a responsible partner to the United States on Iran, on Ukraine, on drug problems, it's, it's just delusional. And my concern is, as we look at 2024 on the horizon, you know, under Biden, we had Afghanistan in 21, Ukraine in 22, Israel in 23. Is she going to take the weakness he interpreted out of the summit as tacit permission that, you know, it's time for him to move against Taiwan next year, which would be a third front for the United States to manage? I'm not sure our armed forces are prepared to do three different fronts and uh... It's just uh, very, very sad. What else is going on that you feel emotional about? That uh, that you there's so many things. I don't know even know where to begin. Give us another one more subject. We have some more time. I mean, we can take it back to to Israel and how the Israeli armed forces really are having uh, some success getting into Gaza. Very sadly, they found two hostages dead. I'm not entirely sure what the circumstances are, but two female hostages, one an IDF soldier, were both found deceased. And I think that should bring home to everyone the urgency of you know getting after the hostage situation. I think it's deeply unfortunate that Biden pressured Israel to start giving these pauses and humanitarian aid to Hamas before we got the hostages back. That was our leverage over them, was literally to starve them into giving the hostages back. And then we could talk about humanitarian aid. But unfortunately, they put the cart before the horse. And now Hamas is demanding, you know, a three-day pause, additional material that they could use for uh, for military purposes. And the administration is patting themselves on the back because they finally forced Israel to let some fuel into the country. So I'm deeply concerned about what we're going to find going forward. 
on this hostage situation, that an opportunity to get them out has been squandered. And remembering that there are Americans in the mix there, some number uh, up to nine uh, that that are also, you know, being held against their will for now more than a month. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for uh, everything you've done for our country and served our country and continue to speak out for our country. Thank you so much. And let's catch up again real soon. Of course. Thank you, John. With us today is Gordon G. Chang. To give us an update, what the heck is going on in the Far East? Gordon Chang, uh, tell us, is there an update? Well, John Kirby, the NSC spokesperson, after uh, President Biden and Xi Jinping met on Wednesday, John Kirby said that Xi Jinping does not want any one more American to die from fentanyl. And I thought that that statement was certainly disgraceful. The reason is that Xi Jinping has been using fentanyl to kill Americans, Last year, 70,000 Americans, according to preliminary CDC estimates, died from doses of illegal fentanyl. Almost all of that illegal fentanyl comes from China. The Communist Party runs a near-total surveillance state. It knows what the fentanyl producers are doing. And so we have to assume that it has the approval of the party. But we don't even have to extrapolate, John, because we know that Chinese diplomats provide cover to the fentanyl gangs. They launder their proceeds through the Chinese state banking system. And nearly every container has been has been inspected by Communist Party officials. I think that we're not going to be able to deal with fentanyl until we recognize that reality. And remember, this is the same Xi Jinping who just agreed with President Biden about fentanyl to stop the flow. He's the who made exact same promise to President Trump in 2018. And since then, fentanyl flows have increased to record. Well, that's not uh, doesn't sound very good. I mean, the only request I made uh, of China, uh, and uh, we're having uh, uh, a cultural foundation uh, opera at Carnegie Hall on Tuesday, uh, is uh, to consider sending some pandas to New York. I mean, uh, I think that'd make a, a great tourist attraction, and uh, I think that they'll get another 10 million people in New York. What do you think? Well, probably. Yeah, probably would. Um, and matter of fact, when Xi Jinping was speaking to business leaders on Wednesday night, at the end of his speech, he hinted that China was willing to send pandas to California. As we know, just about a week ago, there was a FedEx plane that left Washington, D.C., carrying the last pandas in the U.S. back to China. So he is in, Xi Jinping is engaged in panda diplomacy. And uh, I suspect well, if now, he doesn't want a cultural exchange, I think uh, the pandas are a symbol of a cultural exchange. Oh, they certainly are. And I think that the uh, flow of pandas actually tells us a lot about the way China wants the relationship to go. Well, I pray for peace, you know, Gordon. And uh, look, the, the generals pray for war. I pray for peace. And I think you pray for peace, too. I certainly do. And I pray for policies that will prevent the war that appears to be coming. Because as Henry Kissinger said to Bloomberg on June 7th, war between China and the U.S. is, quote unquote, probable. And he implied that something's got to change if we're going to have and remain in peace. So, yes, we need new policies that will work, not the old policies that have created this disastrous situation. Gordon Chang, we'll talk to you on Monday or Tuesday. Today is Sunday, and uh, why don't you relax a little bit? I'm certainly going to do that, John, and I'm going to wait for the pandas to come to New York because I will be at the front of the line to look at them. 
Thank you so much. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.